Brown says, get that India, big boy. Alrighty, hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Tip Sheet, uh, we're after the uh, wrap up of round 5, heading into round 6 here, um, I'm 4020, also known as John, and joining me as always is 60s, how's it going champ? Mate, I'm going really well, because I've been through, since the loss on Sunday, I've had my recovery session, uh, done my video review, so now I'm able to look forward to the match down in Canberra. And uh, how the Eels are going to defeat those Raiders. Yeah, so the Eels obviously dropping the game against the St. George Illawarra Dragons on Sunday night. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. But for now, uh, let's get on to one of our more popular segments, eh? Yeah, sounds good. All right, 60s, let's throw it to probably our most popular segment as we go to our resident Parramatta Eels insider, Joey Grimer, who is um, always an absolute pleasure to have on the podcast. Joey, mate, hope you're having a good day. Having a great day. And it's a pleasure to be here for our seventh week. And... um, yeah, just looking to continue on our junior reps on the weekend. What a wonderful week. It's a, it's and a bit of a bittersweet segment this week because you've got uh, some of the reps wrapping up and we've got you know one of the, the other teams having a bye because of their seating in the playoffs. So plenty to cover, but it sort of means that it's signaling that there's a little bit of a, a wrap-up um, moving forward to this segment. Yeah, yeah, that's right, uh, Jono. Um, disappointing that we haven't got two teams going around further into the competition, but exciting, nevertheless, uh, that we've got three programs playing this week, or sorry, two programs with our Harold Matthews having the, the week off, so there's plenty of footy to continue on. Yeah, let's talk about those junior reps. Their regular rounds finished up with big wins in all three grades, uh, starting with the Tasha Gale girls, who saved their best for last. They thumped the Cronulla Sharks on the weekend. Um, that's a team that'll be playing the finals. Is this a case that could is a sort of what could have been for our girls? Yeah, absolutely. It's that in a nutshell, uh, men. Um, we probably didn't have the hardest draw. Now, the, 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 the fairness of the Tasha Gale Cup suggests that every team plays each other. So there's no level of unfairness where you play a, a more dominant team or a less dominant team. However, we ultimately played our first four games against the teams that finished in the top four. So we probably didn't get ourselves um, on the right starting path um, by being beaten. However, in saying that, the teams like Newcastle, um, Illawarra and West Tigers, uh, more so uh, very early on in the season, we were in front uh, in those games. So probably didn't have the confidence or the belief to go on with it. And, yeah, it was a question of what if, um, because the way we played against Cronulla, if we played at 70 or 80% of the capacity of that game in our regular games, um, I suggest we probably would have snuck into the finals. Matt, the uh, Harold Mats, they've been a big success story this year, and they continued on their winning ways with their seventh consecutive win. Is there anything more that they need to do now they're in the finals to be able to take that next step and get the title? Yep, um, they, th- there is 60s. They started off particularly slow in the first half and um, Steve O'Day was uh, a certain half time. It looked like they were um, 
half asleep. They were in second gear. Um, so the start is the key for them leading into their preliminary game next week. So that's one area that Steve spoke about at halftime and they answered that call. They responded uh, quite positively when they went out in the second half against the Sharkies. Um, but yeah, it looked like they were, they were um, um, still in their beds at home asleep. <laughs> so, so basically uh, if they, if they're playing to the best of their ability, they're, they're in there with a genuine chance of taking the title. Yeah, look, um, um, when we're not looking that far. We're looking into the preliminary final. We don't know who we're going to play. Um, but Steve O'Day, uh, as he has done from day dot, is just taking, a, I know it's a cliche, one game at a time. Um, because when you're 15, 16 and 17, it's quite easy to get ahead of where you actually are. So he's done yeah. a reasonable job, or, or sorry, he's done a fantastic job to keep their heads at a level and, um, you know, comfortable uh, situation where they're not putting the cart before the horse, mate. So we're just worried about our training session this week, uh, freshening up and getting ready for who we play next week. Now, Joey, we spoke about the uh, difficult scenario the SG ball had to make the finals last week um, in that they needed either the Raiders or the Steelers to have big upsets against them or to outscore the Steelers in differential to the tune of positive 18 in order to leapfrog them. And to the boys' credit, they went out there and gave themselves a very good fighting chance with a 54-18 to 18 win over the Sharks. That's a plus 36 differential. But the Steelers replied by winning 80-10. to 10. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, were, there, were there mixed emotions after that game? Because the boys put on a show, but at the same time, they, they were um, outdone and, and in another game that meant that it was sort of all amounted to nothing. Yeah, well, um, Craigie's staff... Uh, didn't want to know what the score was. Their whole concentration was on the Sharks game. Um, the, the, the irony of about the games, uh, the, the other games, is that um, the Canberra Raiders, or St George were playing Canberra Raiders, and St George got to a 6 nil lead uh, in the third or fourth minute. So I thought there might have been a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And However, the, the Raiders put on 56 points that, or something like that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So... Look, that's what happens in semi-finals football. And, men, we've spoken about taking um, uh, the opportunities of relying on other teams winning and losing out of the game. And, the you know, the the difficult part is that Steelers game when we were up 22-6 at halftime um, and we came back and drew. We knew that was going to hurt us. We didn't know it was going to hurt us that to badly. this level. Yeah, yeah but... Um, it's we've we're, the, the SG ball players um, or the team have only got themselves to blame. They knew the scenario from day dot. Uh, they knew where we were coming from. Uh, we all knew it was a top six opposed to a top eight. Uh, we all knew the top um, um, five or six teams would continue to win. And this year, a little bit different to other years, um, to get into sixth spot, to only lose two games and have a draw. Um, that would have got you into top four competitions previously. But it just showed or demonstrated that the top half of the competition uh, were convincingly winning week in and week out, opposed to the bottom half, which meant that um, you drop a couple of games, the teams above you keep on winning. It's very hard to catch them uh, without them losing games. Mm -hmm. 
Now, just on those uh, fellas in the SG Ball squad, Joey, because there's a, a grade above them that uh, continues on for the rest of the year in the flag, can we expect that there's going to be the elevation of some SG Ball players into the Earls flag squad? Yes, mate. We've identified 13 players that will transition upwards into that flag squad. Um, we'll, it's a, a stage-by-stage process. We need to ensure, and we've um, got the best interest of the players um, first and foremost. They're just coming off a nine-week program, which started in early November, and um, where there's a, a a pathway for each of those players. Now, some players uh, will be required or have been asked to attend training this week, but majority of the players will attend training uh, next week or give them a, a week off. And uh, that will be mainly to get them to understand the setup um, and the uh, systems that the senior clubs or senior programs have. So their interest would be to participate in the training against older and more seasoned type players. And with the view of being um, a, a, um, or being eligible for selection in two weeks' time. So we need them to have a week off and to transition into training and warrant their training and performance of the players that are currently selected in the flag uh, will depend on if those younger players are selected or identified and play jersey flag for the remaining, um, you know, 14, 15 rounds to go. But we've got a, a, a high number of players who will transition upwards. And that's the beauty of our programs. Um, the, the standards, uh, the shapes, the idiosyncrasies, the uh, systems, um, all that is uh, the same uh, from NRL right down to our um, Harold Matthews Cup program. So they won't have a problem in transitioning upwards. Now, uh, if we keep sorry, keep climbing further up the uh, the pathways totem pole, uh, both the Jersey flag and especially the New South Wales Cup teams enjoyed fantastic wins on the weekend. How did you see those two, Joey? Really delighted with the um, our first and foremost our, our Jersey flag side. Um, the side they took on at the Roosters, I understand that um, there's a high opinion from the Roosters of that group. Granted, uh, Williams wasn't playing he was playing first grade and and he would have been naturally in that flag side but the way that the players responded from the game against west tigers last monday night was chalk and cheese for me as a, as the uh, uh you know the uh, pathways coaching director that was the greatest or the most pleasing thing over the weekend they're playing people out of positions due to injuries and, and the head injury assessments. Uh, Kyle Schneider played in the halves and done a tremendous job with his patience and just getting players around the park. Um, our uh, our better player in in in, in Yatesy, um, got injured. Uh, Sharbel Tapasawa um, got injured. So there was a lot of players in players playing in positions that were foreign to them. But the way they responded and the way they turned up and scrambled defensively was really, really pleasing from a club perspective, particularly on the back of the performance um, that was showed last Monday. Um, with our knock-on effect cup, 
Um, I'm not surprised that those younger players keep on getting better each week with confidence and playing with that great group of um, seasoned men. And that was part of the reason why we decided as a club to push up Jake Arthur, uh, William Penasini and Sean Russell. And you men know uh, more about rugby league than a lot of other people and you're very astute. And they did not and have not looked out of place playing knock-on effect cup uh, since being up there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and especially in this in that last match because all three of them had probably their best uh, matches of the of the season thus far. So what what we're actually witnessing is them growing into the competition and and not just being in a, a situation where they're handling it, but uh, in only their third game, literally starring in the match. And you can imagine, men, and this is where we wrestle or contest with. Do we hold those players back to be as successful as we possibly can to win an SG ball competition? Or do we promote those three, and there could be four or, or whatever, those young men into reserve grade and fast track their development in the view where there may be an opportunity to play first grade? Is that where our club... And that's... There's either... Nothing's, depending on what system, what club you're at, nothing's right, nothing's wrong. It's what works for you and what you're prepared to trial. But it looks for us that having those three young men up there is actually doing their development uh, a much better service than if they would uh, being less competitive or being challenged at a lesser capacity in a lower age group. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I and I would imagine too that you um, take their individual characters or, or their physical development into consideration as well for the ones that you decide, um, say, jump up literally two grades to New South Wales Cup as opposed to those that are maybe in the Jersey flag when they could be playing SG ball. And uh, I suppose likewise, those that you decide to leave in SG ball rather than to elevate. Yes, and you're exactly right. D- depending on who plays flag or who may play jersey uh, uh, knock-on effect cup, we need to look at the entire playing roster that we have available. And if we have players that are um, of the age group uh, outside the jersey flag and are more than capable to play um, a knock-on effect cup, but we have a young person who we feel may be better off playing three or four games in our Jersey flag system before promoting up because of, um, you know, his uh, confidence, his lack of strength or size. Um, we do have a duty of care. We've seen the, 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 uh, we've seen it go wrong and seen it go the other way where we transition players upwards when they're clearly not ready for it. And I've seen teams leave players at that level and have suffered. And two people that come to the forefront of my mind, if you can recall and and throw back to two, three years ago at Newcastle, they had the two young halves. They had young Cogger and they had had young Brock Lamb. Um, They were SG ball players. Um, They had no um, a backup plan or they wanted to fast track them. Uh, they had a couple of injuries, so they were next in line or second to um, the people above them of next in line. So it was thought that they would be 
thrust into the NRL uh, squads. And unfortunately, they got physically damaged and probably emotionally and mentally damaged. And they haven't come back where people thought they would today. And I think it's got a lot to do with them being rushed into first grade. Both were out and out great rugby league players in their age group, but probably uh, perhaps bought off, bought off, uh, bit off a little bit more than what they could chew. Yeah, and and that's and as you said, there's a there's uh, there's probably a, um, a is it a would you say it's a fine line or or is it something where if you're if you've got any slightest doubt to err on the side of caution, what what would you say there? No, I think that the clubs would would err on the side of court, caution, um, given that uh, we know so much about those three men we're talking about. They've been in our program since they were 14 years of age. So we've got data on them, um, how stronger they've become, how faster they've become, how bigger they've become. And that's all part of the high-performance uh, discussions in selecting or when selecting players uh, that we feel where they're appropriate. And that just goes back to what you were saying before, 60s. Um, we err on the side of caution. If we think they're up to the challenge and their strength and their speed and their savvy and their skill is at the level required to play jersey flag, great. If it's at the level um, where um, they could compete in the reserve grade or the knock-on effect cup, great. So um, we would take all that information on board. So your original question was, um, you know, do we have different players or do we err on the side of caution? Absolutely, because we don't want to damage the player, but we want to give the player the best opportunity to develop upwards uh, with the potential to play NRL. I must say, it, it, it actually, having watched the pre-season, um, I don't think there was really any selection that surprised me in terms of those that are, are playing at the uh, reserve grade or New South Wales Cup level, and those that are playing at Jersey Flag level, and and um, and uh, uh, one or two that are at SG Ball level. So it it, it really doesn't surprise. But um, right now we're going to move on to uh, the Ask Joey questions for this week. You beauty. Uh, do we do do we have an intro for that yet? No, not yet. Uh, still. To- Get one in. Um, get, in, get one out of the works there for you, mate. Maybe, maybe um, you can ask your listeners not only ask Joey questions, but mate, ask them to come up with a little bit of an intro that uh, would encapture me or you know whatever. Give them a little <laughs> bit of um, yeah, I don't know, um, timey kangaroo downsport. You know, little Joey, um, something like that. <laughs> well, bit of fun, you know, maybe. I was think, I was thinking when it comes to forty and I, we could almost have uh, Benny Hill music when it's forty and I uh, about to speak, but um, we'd we'd have to come up with something quite intelligent, I think, for you, mate. Just oh, be- right, we might no. we might get the um the old space um space Odyssey theme going for uh, Joey, the Dawn of Man. Oh, oh I, I thought maybe like the, borrow the mastermind theme. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. But I reckon a better one for you would be the Blues Brothers theme. <laughs> uh, uh, All right, let's uh, fire away. Okay, okay, so first question comes from Rob B. So it's different, Rob, this week. Um, now, his question is actually, I suppose, really digging into your vast personal coaching experience because you've been a, 
a head coach at the London Broncos, and you've also been an assistant coach around the NRL. So the, the question is, do coaches and their staff plan beyond the next match, or do all of their energies typically go into that week's game? Yeah, really good question, Rob B. Um, the, the, the short answer is no. Uh, we don't plan for uh, the match uh, we, we only plan for the upcoming match. So the, the things that we look at are, um, are only leading and preparing us for the team that we play that week. However, comma, what the high-performance staff do in the background is schedule what days we would train and the loading capacities on those days. Now, to give you an example, um, Rob, if we played on a Saturday, we would always work backwards. And depending on when you play to your next game depends on your scheduling. So I want to give you this context because as a coach, you are given the days that you will train and you are giving the loading capacities. And what I mean by loading capacities is the level of running or the intensity of the level of running that you would need to run at that training where you are not susceptible to becoming injured or getting an injury. To give you an example of Rob B, if we were to play next Sunday, okay? Uh, actually, we'll use the Canberra Raiders game. We play this Saturday afternoon, evening down in Canberra. Now, we would train the day before, that would be our game day preparation day or our captain's run. Most teams would follow this same schedule, so I'm not telling you information that is secretive. Two days out of the game, you would normally have a day of rest because three days out, or if it's a Saturday game, Friday you would have your captain's run, Thursday, you would have your day off. Your Wednesday day would be your load day. That would be your big day. That's where you get the miles into the legs. And I wanted to share this content with you because we don't actually plan what we're going to do next week. But in the background, the trainers or the high-performance staff are giving us dates and days that we train and we assimilate what we're going to do from a football perspective for those days. But we are only planning for um, Canberra Raiders, and we will, we've only been planning for Canberra Raiders. Once we get through our um, review uh, on the back of the Dragons game on Sunday evening, uh, we put that to bed on the Monday, and we um, head into and only consider and only think about what we're going to do to combat the Raiders. Now, so basically the longer-term planning is around the physical conditioning side of the players. Correct. Um, and the, and the short-term planning is around the, the specific match. Correct. So the short-term planning from the coaching staff will be what do we have to do offensively, defensively, uh, individually, part-team and full-team for the team coming up. Now, in the background, you've got your high-performance staff. Because we've had two short turnarounds back-to-back, -back, we're actually playing three games in 16 days. 
if we don't get that right, men, um, we're susceptible to injuries. We have to give the players adequate downtime for their bodies to recover. So you're absolutely right, 60s. Rob's also snuck in a follow-up question to that uh, first part. He's um, like my wife. Yeah, she's always asking <laughs> There's always a part two, exactly. Oh, yes. Um, and this one goes into a little bit more detail. But when it comes to specific tactics against certain opposition, do the assistant coaches become more involved in the process of that planning? Or is that something that might differ from club to club, given like you know the different styles of their head coaches in the respective club? I could only talk about our club and the coaches that I've worked with. And I'm pretty sure it's... Uh, very, very similar at other clubs. We're very fortunate that Brad Arthur has an incredible understanding of um, a lot of teams, the way they defend, the way they attack, their strengths and their weaknesses. And you gain that through experience and the continuation of playing against these teams and more so the coaches uh, that are head coaches of these teams. So Brad will come up with a, uh, a theory um, and, and be work, working with his assistant coaches uh, in this case, it would be David Kidwell and Stephen Murphy, and they would collectively come up with what they feel are uh, the opportunities for us to, you know, um, attack their weaknesses or to uh, defend their strengths. So the answer to your question at our place is that um, the uh, assistant coaches have a lot of autonomy uh, with what happens on the field and the training sessions or the planning sessions uh, within preparing for that game. But Brad Arthur will have the overall, this is how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to do uh, in conjunction with his assistant coaches. And they will go away and work on a training plan um, in accordance with what Brad was talking about. They always meet regularly and um, they would come up with a plan or Brad would come up with a plan and those assistant coaches would be uh, the main stayers of executing that plan because, as, as we know, Steve Murphy looks a lot of the offensive, um, um, uh, of the offensive tactics mm-hmm. and Dave Kidwell looks after a lot of the defensive structure and tactics. So that responsibility would fall on them um, but it would be a, a collective effort, but uh, they would have a lot of autonomy in that, in that, uh, uh, you know, that process. Now, uh, the next question comes from David, and he said, without, and, and he, I, uh, I imagine this is something that you're reasonably well qualified, given that you were um, head coach at the London Broncos, wasn't it, Joey? Yes. Over in the Super League? Yep, two years. Yep. So David asked, without getting into specifics, do NRL or Super League clubs concern themselves with the character of a potential recruit, or is it simply a case of the player's talent and past performances fitting a recruitment need? Yeah, um, that 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 uh, that's changed over the last two or three years. It's sort of with the structure at, at our place here, um, and uh, a lot of other places that I know of. There are certain um, um, checkpoints or touch points that uh, a recruitment person would go through before uh, making a decision on a player on pure ability. Um, Now there is information that uh, is sought after from uh, like a reference or people that are, are close to the people that we're looking to contract, um, albeit in a confidentiality type of um, basis. But um, 
not only do we look at their skill now, we look at their, uh, their, their family life. Uh, we look at um, um, their character, if they are of good character. Are they someone that is uh, uh, more likely or less likely to get into um, trouble? Um, clubs are no longer willing to sign someone purely on their natural ability because natural ability will only take them so far. And if they um, uh, something rocks the boat, um, you could lose membership, sponsorship. You could be fined by New South Wales or NRL. So it's quite important that not only you get someone that is um, up to the skill level or the rugby league player that you need at your club, but it's just as important that the character of that player and um, um, the, the personality of that player and the adherence to follow rules of that player um, is probably just as important as someone's playing ability. So there's a whole metrics of things that our club looks after, or excuse me, looks at uh, before they, um, um, you know, recruit someone um, at a lower grade or certainly at a, at a higher grade, which is generic, I would imagine, in a lot of clubs, whether it's here or overseas. And I would imagine too that that's still following the lead of the NRL in general because uh, the NRL has in the past, of course, deregistered players who uh, don't do the right thing or has has not uh, made their entry into the NRL possible because they determined that uh, they wouldn't necessarily be good for the game. So um, I suppose overall the, uh, the NRL has... I suppose they almost set the the trend in that because there's there's people that they just don't allow into the game, yeah, and then, I, then, yeah. then you've got the individual clubs making that decision: is this person a good fit for our culture, our club, the people that we've got here already? And and um, I imagine you every club would have their own um, guidelines, and as and as you said, some generic guidelines as well. Yeah, exactly. And the NRL needed to introduce that because um, a, a lot of the clubs that weren't performing at the top eight level, um, their main play, there, there have been uh, situations in the past 60s where a player has um, done something untoward and has put the game into disrepute. So um, rather than the club taking its own sanctions and removing that player because of the status of that player or what that player meant to the winning opportunities, the NRL has come in and uh, introduced or uh, the integrity unit and introduced uh, procedures, which removes that from the club itself. And they actually make the decision. And um, a, similar, um, a similar policy that was introduced three years ago was the HIA. If someone has been um, or has got a head knock um, before the players or the coaches or the clubs or the teams used to leave the players on the field because it was so detrimental taking that player off, particularly if that player was of high standard in that team. So the, the NRL introduced that, no, you're off for a mandatory 15 minutes. So they took that um, assessment out of the clubs or away from the clubs to ensure that it was the right process. So I know they're two different things, but you can see what the NRL have, have, have sort of done with those two areas. As the governing body, they're, they're acting as the protector of clubs in, in that absolutely. regard. Absolutely. There's a massive duty of care, 60s. Yeah, absolutely.
now, our last question this week comes care of Grant, Joey, um, and there it goes along the lines of this. Uh, is there a typical number of NRL pre-seasons that a young player needs to do before they gain a full understanding of what is needed or required of them to perform at their best in first grade? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know the answer to that because I know there are players that have had only one pre-season and have gone on to build a really, really strong and profound career in their second and third season. Um, there are some players, however, that have had two or three pre-seasons, and it may be at one club, it may be at two or three, and still haven't cracked it. Um, the pre-season is mainly to uh, um, allow the player um, to get the miles and the strength in their body to prepare them for the rigorous bashings and, and games and the, 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 the toll of NRL. So that's the first and foremost. The other thing uh, that it teaches the players is a level of uh, respect, uh, attention to detail and getting outside your comfort zone. So um, there are players that I've witnessed at our club and at other clubs that their maturity or their age is way above their maturity level. So they would have no problems in being successful after one season. Um, but I've seen other players that may not have the level of maturity uh, like some, and it takes them two or three years. Whether their conditioning level isn't at the level that it should be, and that's the reason why, or they can't maintain the attention to detail required um, for the entire season, particularly from November until February, March. So it's a really tough answer. It's a good question. I don't know the answer for this, uh, but I can give you examples. Um, Jake Arthur, uh, Sean Russell, and uh, Will Penasini have only done one NRL preseason, and they look—they don't look out of place in a top four um, knock-on effect cup at the moment. So that would answer the question and talking about the level of maturity way above their age. And you guys bear witness to it uh, all the time. You've seen them play from a 15-year-old. Uh, you, you're lucky enough to watch them train, and I think you'd probably agree with that. Yeah, and and, and that's uh, it's interesting that you, you use those examples because obviously I've seen a number of pre-seasons over the years, and I've, I've seen instances where incredibly talented players – aren't really um, aware of that level of um, dedication and discipline and the, the, that commitment to hard work that, can, that comes with being a full-time professional footballer. And from what I've seen over the years, there's a, there's a fine line between players with talent who don't go on and players with talent who do go on. And it's, the talent might be the same, it's that little extra something that uh, allows the, the, the ones that have a career to get through pre-seasons, to have that uh, discipline and dedication to being a full-time footballer. That it, it's, As I said, to me, it, it's almost like there's, there's a marginal difference in talent, but there's a gulf of distance between uh, that, that dedication level. Yeah. Um, and 60s, how many times have we seen it and your, your listeners uh, seen it uh, first hand where someone so gifted 
so brilliant, so much better than some first graders that are playing, but aren't at the level where they can maintain their level of training, their level of strength, and all the um, all the things required for their discipline. We've seen it. They're a dime a dozen. We've seen we could talk about 10 players who were 15, 16, and 17 that were much better than some of the first graders, but didn't go on because they didn't have the discipline or the dedication um, uh, or whatever they didn't have. And we're going to continue to see that 60s. And that's why um, to make it in rugby league, it's hard enough just to make it on your own ability. Now players aren't making the, making NRL on their own ability because more is required. We already spoke about their character what type of person they are. We spoke about their level of uh, detail in the way that they prepare and, and train and repair their bodies after the game. So it's, yeah, it's a fine line. And you, you, could, you could list 10 people that you thought were better than some of the players playing at our club in first grade that aren't here. And the reason why is, is because they just don't have that, um, that, that discipline to do the pre-season training. They don't think, uh, or they think their ability is going to get get them to play NRL. But when they get so behind in their pre-season training, they just can't catch up and maintain the level that they need to execute what they showed with their ability when they were a little bit younger or the year before. Yeah, it's it's been a fascinating thing that I've observed over the years of watching the the preseason training. It's um, and and some of the players that I've I had high hopes that would that would go through, and then yeah, I I can tell within the first week or two of the preseason that um, this is this isn't necessarily going to work for them, and it's no uh, no, and it, and it's it's a shame, but it's but. That's that's it's, look. It's probably the same in all aspects of life. The people have certain abilities and talents, but it takes something extra for them to get for those that go to the top of, the, of any field, whether it be in a sport or whether it be in a particular profession. You can have you can have a natural aptitude or talent, but unless you have that drive and determination um, to get to the very top, well, you're not going to get to the very top. No, you will, and you'll find you'll find a level. And you, you might you might be happy with that level that you get to, but you'll find your level because, and some people, that that determination to be something special um, gets them to a higher level than others. Yeah. And 60s, the other point that we probably should talk about too um, is when someone um, is introduced to a NRL preseason specifically, the level of toll that has on one's body, um, the vigorous training, you're going from you know training with your junior uh, junior representative teams and you're training from three days a week to uh, five days a week but you're doing two and three sessions per day and you're clocking up uh, 15 to 20 kilometers at 90 percent plus intensity the toll that 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 has on your body and the mental strength that you need to back up and train the next day uh, with that level of height or that height of soreness uh, is another world. And until you get used to that, and it takes a little bit of time to get used to that, 
some people can't cope with that. Uh, the rigorous getting up. It's like when you leave school, you go into a labour-intensive job of digging holes or, or whatever the case may be, your body is going to be terribly sore for the next three or four or five weeks. And some players don't know how to go beyond that pain threshold. I, I sometimes look at um, uh, people like uh, like uh, Trent Elkin and um, and uh, uh, Brendan Inkster at, at the Eels, and I think there's got to be an element of them that uh, almost could have a psychology degree with what they do because, um, I mean, not only are they looking at loads, but they'd probably be also looking at the psychology of some of these players that, in terms of helping them to manage through that when, you know, if they can tell, look, this this just needs a little... Like, I've seen pre-season training over the years where that load is sort of, like, gradually introduced, whereas in the past it used to be bang and you'd see players throwing up on the first day of training with the that 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 intensity being there like right from the get-go um whereas I, I, what i tend to see now is it builds it builds and builds and builds through the pre-season um those bikes do a tremendous job because um i think to myself you know that like helping some of these blokes to navigate that pre-season um it, it, it certainly requires a talent they're so clever they're so clever and those those two blokes you talk about, um, they're incredibly clever. So part of their role, and um, they may have formal qualifications, I'm not really sure, but most of their understanding, 60s, is through their experience and what they already know works and doesn't work or has or has not worked uh, when they've tried it at other clubs or years before. So their level of experience, we're talking about guys that have been around a long time at the top level of uh, rugby league. So they're on the job training or on the job gathering information um, and their experience uh, allows um, the training program to be accessible without breaking people um, to make them better or fitter or stronger. So they're, they're amazing. All, all NRL people, all at all NRL clubs in the SNC um, area, are all amazing, and they have a uh, a real good understanding of their players because they spend so much time with them. They know what makes them tick. They know what family backgrounds they come from. They know who's got young families, and they have a lot of um, statistical and data information from GPS and and other things that. Um, uh, uh, allows them to alter someone's training session if they think it's going to be, you know, a, a better outcome in the short term for that person. They might need a week off. Uh, they might need a session off. They might need extra training. So they're so gifted. Not only do they know their craft, but they actually get a real good understanding and a um, um, a friendship or a uh, yeah, an understanding of each individual player and person. Yep. Now. Finally, let's finish on the Eels uh, because the Eels had their first loss of the season uh, just this last weekend. And they now take on one of the toughest road trips in the NRL in playing the Raiders away from home. What do the Eels need to do to return to the winner's list this week, in your opinion? Yeah, I think um, Brad nailed, uh, nailed it in the press conference. 
uh, after the game. Um, the intensity level wasn't the level required. And the Dragons came out in that first 10 or 15 minutes with uh, Paul Vaughan and, and Tyrone Fuamano and all their forward pack. And they were just so physical and aggressive, their line speed. So um, the, the obvious thing is going down to Canberra, um, they're, they're coming off um, some, you know, not so good performances. Uh, they've got a few injuries, so they're back to the wall. And we all know um, that Ricky's going to be or have them fired up. So for mine, um, I think they need to maintain the rage and, and take a leaf out of St. George Illawarra's book and for the first 15, 20 minutes, come out aggressive with their defence. Um, they didn't work through the middle as I thought they would. And um, although they had more running metres, they completed higher. They had a more possession of the ball. Uh, they're probably a little bit too lateral. Um, and particularly this week, it's going to be four and a half degrees. It's going to be a little bit slippery. So the lateral movement probably won't be as uh, a, a benefit tactic. So the two things um, for mine, uh, very, very aggressive, particularly in the first 20 minutes um, in their defence and just playing them through the middle third and not doing too much expansion or moving the football side to side. All right, Joey, thanks for giving us a look at this 40 minutes of your time, mate. That is very greatly appreciated. Um, it's a shame that we won't be able to talk too much more on the junior reps with only the Harold Matthews still in the uh, jackpot, as it were. But um, we'll still have you on when available, mate. It's always a pleasure to have you on the tip sheet. You guys are excellent, and I love being on here. You can tell by the excitement in my voice, and I love those questions. I tell you what, we got some very astute listeners out there. So, um, yeah, keep them coming, and I, I enjoy every week talking to you guys and really appreciate that you give us the opportunity or give me the opportunity to promote our young kids. Much love, mate. You have a great week, and we'll catch you next uh, Wednesday thereabouts. Yeah, Good on you, you men. Take care. Catch you, Joey. See ya. And now moving on to the review component of the podcast, and we're going to start with the NRL action from Sunday night. Uh, Eels hosting the St. George Laura Dragons. Eels falling to their first loss of the season, uh, 12 to 26 losers. For the Eels, Isaiah Papali'i and Quinton Gufferson were the try scorers. Mitchell Moses went two from two off the kicking tee. Uh, Dragons had a Matt Dufty double, Jack Bird and Michele Ravalawa scoring. And like Moses, uh, Zach Lomax was perfect in the kicking tee. Four penalty, uh, sorry, four try conversions and one penalty conversion to his name. Uh, the, the stats, uh, Joey sort of alluded to it, but the stats were relatively even here. Um, I think the Dragons were slightly ahead on possession and time of possession. Uh, and the they had more runs, but the Eels had more run meters. Uh, so a lot of stuff that was relatively even going for out. But as we spoke about earlier, the Dragons just brought more energy and the Eels couldn't match them. Yeah, look, I think it's interesting. I was not critical of the Eels when it came down to effort. It was... For mine, it was really a question of execution, and let's say smart execution was missing on the night because, mm. uh, as you said, there were more running meters, but it were and and we actually forced more missed tackles out of the dragons than than what we were guilty of. However, at the times where we needed to win the middle, it just seemed that we weren't doing that, and especially during that period of time where the Dragons were down to 12 players and we scored almost immediately and it was and it was through that uh, attack through the middle of the field and then we went away from it and it was like the next eight minutes of um, having a, a player advantage was wasted because we just went from side to side to side. And, and it did feel like that if you go on and score that second try during the Tarek Sim Sinbinning period 
that that game sort of goes right into your hands. That the, the dragons maybe unravel a little bit, and they're the ones that feel in the pressure instead of the eels. And but you know, like you said, we sort of take the wrong options, get a little bit too sideways, have some brain snaps from a couple of different players, and all of a sudden, you know, you're you're then forced to chase points recklessly, and the eels couldn't reel it in. Yeah, and look, there was some criticism of the officials on the night, and I certainly have things that I wasn't happy with. However, if you don't, as a team, take a look in that big mirror and decide where you went wrong and how you go about rectifying it, and if you just want to apportion blame to uh, uh, the officiating in a match, man, you're not setting yourself up for a win the next week. So um, as supporters looking at it... um, yeah, we're going to have our, our little bias moments, but we have to concede that there were parts of that game that just were dumb football. And, oh, and again, it's not a question of effort. It's a question of smart execution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that was, you know, exemplified by some absolute boneheaded errors. I think, you know, Blake Ferguson at one point let go of the football to touch the sideline to try and milk a penalty. Like, that, then that, you know, killed a great attacking opportunity in the red zone. Um, you know, Sean Lane had a shocker kick and, and he tried to force a pass early off a line break. Um, you know, Bryce Cartwright, the the vision was good, but the execution was terrible on his attempt to get a grubber kick through the Ferguson. And it, it's a lot of guys there that are trying to make plays happen when they're not primary playmakers. Yeah, and that, again, that comes down to there was a, um, there was a desire to win. There was, and, and, and people were trying things, but they weren't trying things within the Eels formula. Yeah. There's an Eels formula that works. And we, we see that we see that in the, uh, the fact that there, there is a genuine strength in the forwards, the forwards lay a platform. And this is, this is just basic rugby league, really. I mean, we've got a team that is capable of executing very good. Well, let's say excellent basic rugby league. And from building those foundations in a game, you can then become a little bit more expansive in what you do. But we just didn't play that that strong, basic football, that, that structured football that was needed at a time where structure was needed before you can go into the, the, the less structured moments. Agreed. And I suppose the other thing worth mentioning is we spoke about it in the past. Uh, the Eels have been a little bit light in the middle in their second rotation due to sort of enforced... Uh, roster moves, if you know Murata being out on the edge, uh, Papali'i then having to replace Ryan Madison uh, on the at edge back row with uh, Murata at the centres. So this was the first game where I felt that our second rotation just couldn't quite bring the juice that was needed to help rest control that game back fully. Look, I think that's that's probably a fair call, and I think you get an element of of where we failed in that can be attributed to. Uh, what the Dragons did well, which was they pushed the limits when it came to slowing down the Eels' oh, uh, and speed that, of the play of the ball. That, that is um, not a, a, a whine against the Dragons. You played to the whistle, and they had a game plan oh, that facilitated that. Oh, yeah. Look, absolutely. And I, I've banged on, and I, and I know that I said before about, uh, you know, I'm not going to apportion blame to officials because that doesn't get anywhere. But... For me, uh, you know how I feel. Listeners know how I feel about set restart <laughs> rule, and uh, to me, opening it up to um, uh, bring in other in- infringements in offsides, that sort of thing. All that means is you're going to get teams 
and the, the Dragons were the prime example on the weekend where they are prepared to push the limits with the referee. They are literally daring the referee to call six again. But when you're getting it on the first or second tackle and you're gaining a physical domination advantage via that, they're prepared to give away a couple of extra tackles. If, the, if on the other hand, a penalty was blown and all of a sudden you've got that team that's struggling to get off out of their own quarter or struggling to get any momentum, if they're suddenly kicking 30, 40 metres downfield and setting their attack from around the halfway mark or better, then you've got a whole different scenario. So, I again, I never liked this rule when it was first introduced. Um, I think it should have been trialled in lower grades for a season or two to see to iron out the kinks. Um, instead, we plough ahead and expand it, and I just don't like it. And there's probably plenty of people out there who love it, but I don't like it. Last thing, I suppose, an unhappy club debut for Bryce Cartwright. Uh, he had that one error that exacerbated from being a turnover into a penalty upon the captain's review, um, followed by a mis-executed kick, which I do I do respect the vision. There was good vision there, but the execution was off. Um, and also the miss that alongside Mitchell Moses, who also contributed to that, that led to the late try to Matt Dufty. Uh, where does he go he, go from, from here, mate? Uh, does he get a shorter leash? He sort of went away from the things that had, had such a good impression last week in the New South Wales Cup. Look, in... Uh, my bumpers up column last week and I wrote about Bryce Cartwright's debut and what I wanted to see from him. And I just wanted to see the basics from him. We know that he's got a lot of tricks in his kit bag and people are very quick to criticize that. But those, those, that skill set that he's got, it is a huge advantage. However, we didn't need to see it in his first run with the club because the players around him, they're not used to that in a game scenario. Yeah, the, yes, he's had a preseason, and but bear in mind that preseason has been greatly interrupted in the the last few weeks, where he hasn't been in any sort of um, uh, opposed sessions or running any plays with the with the players. So people are less his teammates aren't as familiar with him and his idiosyncrasies and when he's likely to pop a ball or not pop a ball. So. The risk was always going to be that if he was looking to get an offload away, that it was it was going to be pushed and it was going to be um, something that was perhaps uh, did he, where he didn't have the support around him that he should have. Um, so his best bet was going to be tuck the ball under mm. the arm, run hard, get your get your meters up, make your tackles, start to start to get into the groove within the team. So I'm um, hoping that this week, what we'll see is a running Bryce Cartwright. Rather well, I suppose than that's what Bryce exacerbates Cartwright. some of the frustration is that when he was actually running the ball on Sunday night, he did pretty well. I think yeah, he, went, he went 12 runs for 110-something metres uh, off the top of my head. Uh, he's so, an athlete, mate. He's yeah. a physical specimen who can physically dominate hitting those edges with his runs. And uh, <laughs> there, was, there, was one, uh, there was one moment where he completely bamboozled uh, me, let alone the defence, where... He did drift a little bit, but he, he faked a dummy offload and then ran through, uh, ran it, uh, created a gap and just managed to close on him. But man, I had no idea where that ball was going. And and maybe the, the problem is that the teammates don't <laughs> either. But um, it, it looked, it, it was a, a little flash moment. To me, it looked spectacular. 
those times can come. We don't need to see them right now. Let's just fit into the fabric of the team and go from there. I'm not going to be one of these people to jump all over um, anything that, that he does that goes wrong. But if he tries it too too many times, he might find that BA just says, look, mate, you're going to have to um, you know, get, get used to our structures out of um, New South Wales Cup. So, you know, I, I think the ball's in his court, and I mm-hmm. think BA would have communicated that to him anyway. And uh, that loss, the Parramatta's first loss of the season, as we all well know, uh, actually drops them from second all the way down the fifth with the Dragons leapfrogging them in the process into fourth place. So that's that's due to the congested nature of the ladder early in the season. Um, you know, they're all, still one win behind the first place team. It's not like it's you know you've dropped everything and it's um you know abandoned the Titanic sort of stuff. It's just time for the Eels to get back on focus. And I, I don't call that a loss that we needed to have. I, uh, that is, I've used that term in the past, and it's a bit grating when you do use it because that wasn't a loss the Eels needed to have. But it, maybe it's a loss they can learn something from. Well, what we want to see is that. Um there were elements in that loss that we saw in the first half against the Broncos yep. where there just wasn't that, that focus. There wasn't following the match plan and they were able to rectify it in the second half against the Broncos against an opponent who it might be fair to say allowed us to um, get back on track. Uh, the Dragons were relentless in their approach to the game. That'll, that'll be close to their best game of the season. I'll, oh, I'll, go, I'll go on record now and say it, that you know that standard that they held themselves to for eighty minutes won't be able. To, they won't be able to match it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. So it's, it, but what I think Hook has done for the Dragons is that he's been able to get them to play to their strengths, to play good basic rugby league, where you're looking at uh, set completions, get to your kicks, good energy. Um, defend soundly, and then build from there. So I think he's done a very good job, and he seems to be getting the best out of certain players in that team. And and coincidentally, some of those are players that he would have had a history with, uh, you know, sometime back in the past. So he seems to be the right man for their roster at the moment. And there was a little bit of fallout for the Eels from this loss. Uh, we saw uh, Dylan Brown cited for a crusher tackle, which was completely innocuous oh, mate, when I saw it. So Dylan Brown faced a, a two-week sit on the sidelines if he fought it and lost with only one week for the early guilty. He did take the plea. Uh, unfortunately, the Roosters end up contesting their equivalent and they won, but knowing Parramatta's track record of the judiciary, I do not have any qualms of them not fighting because we have employed the same lawyers that the Roosters have employed uh, in the past and still lost similar cases. Uh, but it goes on from there. Quentin Gufferson cited for a high contact on... Adam Clune on what looked to be a regular tackle, honestly, uh, but he gets a fine for that one. And then the, the other bad bad thing coming of this was poor Ray Stone picked up a shoulder injury out to round nine or ten, so something of a, a relatively serious nature if he's going to be missing at least three or four games. Unfortunately for our Mr. 316, there's a, there's a history of getting a, a few runs in first grade. Yeah, and coming off a career game against the Sharks injury. too, that's, that's, that's yeah. brutal for the young guy. Um, but, you know, you would, we wish him a speedy recovery, as with all eels, and um, getting him back into the mix of first grade sooner rather than later, hopefully. Yeah, well, mate, these, there, is, there is no, um, uh, what, what can we say, no lower gears with Ray Stone. No, he plays and at the one you speed. You know you just yeah, get all out. everything that he, 
everything that he can possibly give, he gives out there. And, it reminds and you of another eel in Kayser Pritchard, where at times it was to the detriment of their own well-being. Well, that that's what I was going to intimate is that is that maybe he's um, it's it's a case of he he throws himself so much into it that he's he's going to be prone to different injuries because it, it seems to me that they are actually different types of injuries that he picks up rather than a a, a, recur, a recurring a problem for him. Mm-hmm. All right, now let's move on because we we are sort of trying not to go too far over time this week. Yeah. Uh, we're going to blitz through the the triple header. Against the Sharks at a Point Bet Stadium, uh, Point Bet Stadium on Saturday. Gosh, I made a meal of that one. Um, let's start with the Tasha Gale. Uh, they were 30 to 12 victors in their most comprehensive victory of the season. Unfortunately, saving their best for last. And like Joey said, it's sort of a, a little bit of a what if or what could have been uh, with just another win somewhere else in the season. They actually sneak into the finals. But for the Eels, uh, Ruby John Kennard, Catalina Vave, Lucy Whitehead, Talisha Pugh, Lasalio Sita Payne, and Tamira Liati were all scorers. Summer Terrare went three from six. So a fantastic way to end the season for the girls and something that they can hopefully build on for what was a, a relatively, like a, I would say, an improved back half of the season for sure. Yeah, and I, I had the opportunity to speak to uh, Coach Ryan Carr after the game and he was he was ecstatic about the, the way that the girls applied themselves, their good energy, the way that they basically followed the game plan to the T, won the middle, hit the edges, and it all flowed from there. So... They, they played to their strengths, executed well, got the win. And then moving on to the Harold Matthews, who we know have secured the round one bye in the finals with a, a chance to play into the grand finals next week. Um, they oh, by tr- the way, did I say Ryan Carr or Ryan Walker? I think you said Carr, but it is Ryan Walker. Yeah, that is it the, is Ryan Walker. Yeah. My, my, my apologies there to uh, Ryan. Uh, well, maybe to both Ryans, <laughs> but I did mean Ryan Walker. So he's Ryan Walker's the... Uh, coach of the uh, Tasha Gales team, and uh, Ryan Carr is, of course, the coach of the South uh, Wales New South Cup. Wales Cup yeah. side. Yeah. But uh, for the Mats, who secured that week off, it was a little bit of um, copycat, uh, as they emulated what their uh, brethren or, or sisters in the uh, Tasha Gales did earlier. They also won 30-10, to 10, uh, with six individual try scorers and a three-from-six effort from the kicking tee. Uh, in that grade, it was Sam Tuovati, Declan Murray, Charlie Geimer, Suliasi Aho, Blaze Talangi, and Raf Stratus on the try scorer sheet. Ethan Sanders going three from six in the kicking tee. So uh, good good for them to have a nice old victory to round out their regulation season and now they gear up for a full-scale tilt at the uh, the premiership itself. Yeah, and you, it was interesting to hear um, Joey talk about how they responded to the halftime message about their energy and, and just a lift because I think what we've seen throughout the season is that... Um, they have so much um, talent in the team that there's been a couple of times where they haven't quite been, I'll use the inverted commas, on for a game, but have still managed to find a win. And uh, and probably the game which exemplified the problems that you can have by not quite being on was their first round loss against the Sea Eagles, yeah. where... Um, they could they could have taken that game though they were leading I think from memory with a, a period of time to go and got run down in that one so um, yeah uh, we wish them well because they they've certainly got the talent that if they're focused uh, they'll they'll go very close to taking the title and then it comes up to the most tragic result of the weekend in the junior reps with the eels winning 54 to 18 over the Cronulla Sharks in the SG ball but it was not enough as we detailed with Joey. 
Uh, they gave themselves a fighting chance with a plus 36 for and against, but when the Steelers come out and have an 80-10 to 10 victory in a 70-minute game, there's not much you can do. Uh, who, the, gets, who scores 90 points in 70 minutes in junior How How is there time for that many tries? You know, Oh, ridiculous, but for the it's, Eels, and, and but the thing is, it's rep footy. Yeah, this is not this is not like your your local footy club where there's maybe one you know one team in the district that just seems to have all the best players gravitate to it. And I know that it was uh, North Sydney that they played against, but the Eels played against North Sydney, and uh, it, earlier in the season, and granted, it was in miserable wet conditions hurricane conditions they, yeah they really pushed the eels to the limit and were um highly competitive and i would not have looked at that team and said that they would have collapsed throughout the rest of the season in a way that they did and obviously this that that last match did they turn up i mean did they have lots of players at 80 to 10 oh, it's hard to get the head around that but for the eels uh, they had nine individual try scorers and nine successful conversions, so a great day for Josh Chappell off the kicking tee, but uh, Peter Tatio uh, opened the scoring in the 0th minute per New South Wales Rugby League, followed by Tyrone Sow, Larry Mwagu Tatia, Jonte Jr. Beffam Misa, Sione Tapawasi, Koevi Lamassu, Francis Fayefo Tuatino, Freeman Forsyth, and Drew Lloyd at the end. Like I said, Josh Chappell perfect off the kicking tee, and unfortunately not enough for the boys, and there will be opportunity, they will look back at this season and the opportunities that they slightly missed. We referenced the Steelers draw with Joey, uh, the game against Manly, even the game against the Roosters recently where they sort of just got absolutely exposed down their right side. There was, there was a lot of games where, you know, just a little bit more and they get into the finals. Well, it basically came down to, in those in those couple of losses that they had and even in that draw, just the incomplete sets. Yeah. There were just games where there were incomplete mm. sets and they paid the penalty in those matches. Um, look, they played it. They played generally a very good physical brand of football where um, the the matches that they won, even the matches they didn't won, you could see that they were punishing their opponents in defence. You could see that they were hurting their opponents in the contact. And um, there, there are some players who, as Joey said, are going to get the opportunity to further impress in the, um, in the uh, Jersey flag. And the good thing about this is that, as we were talking about with those that were elevated, it meant that there were players that were playing in the SG ball who might not have got a run if all the age-eligible players were playing down in that grade. And you have to think to yourself, well, if they, if they weren't elevated, first of all, who would have been filling those spots in those higher grades? Would have they have been people that had a big future at the Eels or players that would have just been filling holes yeah. to fill those teams. And to me, I think the positive is that we've chosen to elevate players, players who are in the pathways for a reason, and that at the same time, it's opened up opportunities at the SG ball level for players who might not have got a chance to showcase their talents, and that now they have, and then they get the chance to be elevated to the... Um, Jersey flag to show it even further. Yep. So it means that only one of the three teams in the junior reps proceeds to the finals. Um, you know, unfortunately, it is it's not the ideal outcome. But still, like we said, with uh, the the conscious decision to promote development over success, which I endorse completely, um, it's not a bad outcome. 
and the, the ball still acquitted themselves very well. And I think there's a number of kids in that team, like Joey said, there's now 13 of them in the running for Jersey flag considerations this year. Um, that's only going to help those kids that got the extra chances because the likes of Russell and Alpha and um, Penasini were up in higher grades. So don't mind that at all. And can, and just before we wrap that up, because it, it's probably our last opportunity to do so, um, our thanks to Craig Brennan and his staff. Absolutely. We were, we were given inner sanctum um, experiences this year around the, uh, the, the SG ball team. Uh, in terms of their their match preparation, their their season um, preparation, in terms of their um, the jersey presentations that were that was done with Murata Nyakore, the um, the week in the um, in the life of the SG Ball Team video that we were able to share with our readers, um, the time that Craig Brennan and his staff give us having a, a bit of a chat at the games about what's happening with the team, that sort of thing. So. Um, in addition to uh, Joey, we, we must thank um, uh, Craig Brennan for what he's been able to share with us this year. Very much so. And we, we are always appreciative of um, having the curtains drawn back a little bit for TCT to get that greater insight and being able to pass that on to other supporters as well. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up the uh, juniors. Moving on to the senior grades now. Uh, the Jersey Fleet getting their first win of the season after uh, it was a bye, a washout, and then two losses. So... It's been a, a long time between drinks in that regard for them, but for 24-10 victory over the Roosters, uh, they get their campaign kick-started. For the Eels, Caleb Toey, Jaden Yates, Sharbel Tassapali, and Jaden Skinner scoring. It's been a good season for the Jadens in terms of getting on the board. They're featured in pretty much every game, I feel like. And Kyle Schneider, uh, fourth and four off the kicking tee, so a fantastic uh, outing there from him. And like Joey yeah. said, uh, a bit of a, a sort of shuffle this, this week for the Eels. They had some late inclusions with Tavita Massima, uh, shifting the fullback and uh, Matthew Komalafi coming into the lineup, and then you had uh, Kyle Schneider jump from hooker to five eighth. Uh, you had Caleb Toey come into the team, so it was an absolute mess. But they did a great job navigating that. But it was it was a very good game of football from start to finish. It was a considering the changes, considering you had uh, someone who's been in the Parramatta system as a dummy half and has actually been up in the NRL squad level uh, as, as a dummy half in Kyle Schneider, having to play 5-8 in, uh, the, uh, in the, the Jersey flag team this week and doing uh, quite a good job of it. Now, I know Kyle had a little bit of a background in the halves when he was younger and he's, he's filled in occasionally there, but he was playing that game there and he really got the players around the park quite well. So, um, yeah, credit to him. I really liked Tavita Massima back at fullback. I thought he did a good. I thought he did a really good job on the weekend, and um, uh, he's been someone that we've seen in the pathways before. So, um, yeah, full credit to him for that uh, performance. Yeah, just a just a good, solid performance from them. And I'm also pleased to see Charbel being elevated to. New South Wales Cup. Yeah, got it. Got some um, uh, mileage on the tyres, some metres in the legs, and now he's been rewarded for call-up. And so is Atasi James, who will be 18th man. And given that the flag is at Manly and the Cup is at uh, Canberra as the prelude to the NRL game, you'd have to think that Atasi James probably makes the trip to Canberra. Yeah, you would. And, and yeah, he, he had quite an imposing game in the in the uh, jersey flag on the weekend. and uh, And as people know, I selected Charbel 
uh, Tessapali in the um, as my most improved uh, player during the NRL preseason. So I've been I'm watching his progress with great interest in the season proper because that was his first NRL preseason. I thought he did outstandingly well coming off a serious injury last year, and I really am hoping that he gets a chance to show his wares at the New South Wales Cup level as often as possible this year. Yes, sir. And moving on to the Cup, which was the most impressive result of the weekend in a manner, I suppose the SG board deserve consideration too. Uh, but when you put on 40 points to eight in reserve grade with a team that is as young and, and sort of developmental as what the Eels have, you can't help but be excited. And they did just exactly that in the uh, actual first game out of Bankwest on the weekend because it was rescheduled from being the curtain raiser to being the, the opener because of the necessity to have it televised on Fox. So the one fifteen kickoff saw the Eels score uh, via Hayes Dunster, Jacob Arthur getting a double, Big Solomon and Iduki, Sean Russell, Jordan Rankin and Ellie Elzikahim all getting over. And Rankin missing just the one kick, six from seven off the tee uh, for the Dragons. Jordan Pereira and Max Fearguy scored. But uh, this was a fantastic game. This is a was a really fun one to watch. Yeah, look, for a start, Jake Arthur probably owned the game. He uh, continues to improve on a weekly basis. The week before in the loss, I thought he was, he was literally trying to drag the team into that contest against uh, the West Magpies, where... Let's face it, the um, Joey Leilua out on uh, the the Magpies' left side centre was giving um, Hayes and Will an awful time in that previous game. And I can tell you that a lot of work was done by Coach Ryan Carr working with, with uh, Will and Hayes through the week with their uh, defensive movements and decisions. And I think that a lot of that came to fruition because all of those young players that we've you've, we've spoken about, I thought they had very very good games. We we had um, Sean Russell had unquestionably unquestionably his best performance at fullback, which will do wonders for his confidence. Will continues to get into that that real physical side of playing against uh, older players. I, I think he does a great job from that physical perspective, which augurs well for his uh, development. Um, Hayes, as we mentioned, he had a very strong game, had made a couple of good breaks, uh, finished. His his game was, I would suggest, probably at least 50% above what he produced the week before, which was, um, I think actually was, to me, was a surprising disappointment the week before, but then he was back to um, what we know he can produce this week. But again, I have to keep coming back to um, Jake Arthur and the game that he produced, which was um, probably match-defining. Yeah, and obviously doing it in front of his old man and his younger brother is always a good feeling too, um, and, and in front of an appreciative audience as well. So I'd love to see the young guys uh, spearheading a victory and obviously in doing that, led by Jake. Um, the other player that probably deserves a good shout-out was Keegan Hipgrave, who came back and got his first you know, real game of the season after very brief stints in first grade and had a great game. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, look. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned um, Keegan or reminded, reminded us to talk about Keegan because um, the forwards did lay a fairly good platform in that game. So uh, Keegan Hipgrave, he was, uh, what was he up, up around the 150, 160 162 metres? 162 metres from 18 carries. Uh, there was no penalties or errors, if I recall correctly. A couple of offloads, uh, four tackle busts, 20 tackles with just one missed. 
So a very good all-round effort from Keegan. And there was some venom in those runs too that really laid the platform for the team. Yeah, uh, he he moved from being um, in the middle to playing on the edge with a couple of uh, late changes. And um, the other person that caught the eye was uh, Wiramu Gregg. Yeah, another, uh, another good start from him. Um, and, you know, as he gets the systems better under his belt, he's going to be a guy that could be a, an outside chance of a, an Arotabu. Oh, he's, he's certainly a handful for he's the defence. He's a defense big, to big boy, to, you know, and, and that, that's with him playing, uh, where, where is he? He played 46 minutes, and I think he played about the same last week, about 50. Uh, so he's he's had an expanded role in reserve grade as they try and get him up to speed. And when he gets to get to when he gets to first grade, he's going to be able to tee off in you know half that time and maybe even less. So he's just going to go all out for for when he's deployed in first grade. But when it, it probably goes without saying, but when you have a a win of that proportion, pretty much everyone that played in that game play you know, fulfilled their role in the team. Yeah. So we could probably rattle off positives about. Yeah, I mean, big big Solomon and Iduki was fantastic. Uh, Jordan Rankin, very composed. Uh, on the bench, the rig, uh, Nathaniel Roach had another great game. Uh, you know, Ellie Elzegerham was damaging on the edge. That All those guys deserve credit. So um, the fact that we're not mentioning someone, and like Michael Oldfield came straight back in from injury and did a great job at centre. So Yeah, well, they, I, I would have even... I would have, well, I might have had him in the back of my mind for NRL selection this week just to be able to bring Murata well, give, back. Given that Brad has detailed that he would like to have Murata back in the pack, yes, that, that's yeah, not yeah, an that, out there claim. So, yeah, I, I was I was very happy with uh, his performance. As I said, I was happy with with uh, pretty much the team across the field. The, the the pack just laid a great foundation. There was good go forward, which which then didn't lose anything when you had the, the likes of Big Dave Hollis uh, being part of the uh, middle uh, rotation. Uh, and and perhaps most importantly, and, the big defensive turnaround from last week against the Western Suburbs Magpies, which is oh, yeah. a, what, what really laid the foundation for the win there. So very well done yeah. to the boys. And they actually climbed to the top four on the back of that. So uh, they're still chasing the uh, the undefeated Penrith Panthers, but they're very much in the mix for the top, like pushing and consolidating to the top four outside of that. So good stuff. Well, that'll be a good yardstick when they take them on again because yeah. the last time... In the preseason, uh, met them in the trial. It wasn't. It wasn't pretty. No, sir. And that's a wrap on all the uh, review action from the weekend. So let's uh, quickly skid on into the previews as we look to wrap up the podcast. Just the three games this week with the mats on the bye and the other two uh, rep teams out of the running. Uh, starting with the Jersey flag, which will be out on its lonesome at Brookvale, going off to the Northern Beaches where they take on the Sea Eagles. As you would not be surprised to hear, given that it's out of Brookie. Um, Eels have a couple of changes enforced by promotions to the New South Wales Cup. So they look like this with Tavita Massima at fullback, uh, Matt Komalafi and Marley Townsend on the flanks, Penny Toey and Jaden Skinner in the centres, Nick Tilburg is partnered by Clayton Falolo in the halves with Caleb Toey and Jack Colavardi bookending Kyle Schneider in the front row, Ollie Clements, Matt Dragosik and Jaden Yates are the back rowers. On the bench, Ethan LeBlanc, Mark Tepu-Smith, Lennox Whitaker and Valence Harris. Uh, so obviously Shabelle Tassapali and Natasi James, the uh, prominent promotions to New South Wales Cup being the uh, omissions from this team. Um, and in that, you see Matt Dragosik promoted and Caleb Toey starting in the place of uh, Atasi James. Yeah, uh, again, still still quite a strong team. You'd expect to perform well, but um, uh, that is that is a, a, a couple of uh, big outs there as well. Yeah, a uh, couple of really good forwards there. And and to be fair, Caleb Toey is an absolute dynamo himself and had a great game last week, and he'll he'll give plenty of juice in the middle. But when you get rid of two of your, you know, senior and quality players, it's always going to hurt. 
but they're taking on a team that uh, is seated just below them on the ladder. Uh, so this is very much a winnable game. Um, and I think looking at that Manly Seagulls team, the most prominent name there was young Ben Tomovich. Uh, I think there was a Fulton in there too, but it, it's a team that is beatable. And that, that game will take place at 12pm on Saturday. Uh, not televised, unfortunately, the flag games aren't. So you get your updates from NewSouthWalesRugbyLeague.com uh, .au. Always get the .au. Um, and yeah, and we hope the Eels can start off the Saturday action with a win there. Oh, sorry. And that takes us to the uh, New South Wales Cup game that is out at Canberra. So getting down um, to the nation's capital. Um, and once again, there's some enforced changes due to promotions. Uh, so you've got Sean Russell at fullback with Naiduki and Dunster on the flanks. Will Penasini and Michael Oldfield are part of an unchanged back line in the centres. Jordan Rankin and Jacob Arthur are the two Jamin in the 6 and 7. Front row of Wirimu Greg, Makahesi Makatoa and Joey Lusick at hooker. Shabel Tasapawi gets a big-time promotion as he goes to the starting edge in New South Wales Cup, and he'll partner Ellie Elzegahem from the other side of the field. Kai Rodwell is the lock forward. On the bench, Nathaniel Roach, David Hollis, Tim Lafai, and Toa Mata Arthur are the 14 to 17. And as we mentioned before, Atasi James will be part uh, will be partnered with the team as the 18th man. Yeah, and you'd like to think that um, they're going to continue their their form, but it'll be a, a big ask against the uh, Raiders. Yeah, the Raiders, uh, even with um, some guys being promoted to first grade due to their injuries, still a quality outfit. Um, just going to quickly pull them up. And they've got, I know that uh, Corey Horsburgh is in there, but uh, looking at that team, Albert Hopawati, Matthew Tomoko, uh, Matt frawley has got plenty of experience, Dynamis Louie, Corey Horsburgh I just mentioned, Corey Harawir and Ayira. So there's plenty of firepower on that team. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's going to be, I think the Eels forwards are going to know that they've been in a contest with uh, some of the Raiders players that are there. And it's probably a, an indication of how well the Raiders first grade packs going that a couple of those players can't get a start exactly. even on the and can't even get onto the Raiders bench. And the action for this one kicks off at five fifteen PM out at Canberra. Unfortunately not televised because that would naturally crash naturally clash, sorry, uh, with the five thirty NRL game. So once again we're stuck uh, to New South Wales Rugby League updates and perhaps someone on Twitter can give us a report as we go, but we're not going to be out there to attend. So we're sort of limited by the uh, technology itself. Yep. So, uh, and I just quickly checked the ladder there, sorry. The the Raiders, once again, just below the Eels. So, uh, another very much winnable game, but looking at that team, you got you can't be taking them lightly. 4v5, plenty of implications for the ladder, and a team that's got plenty of strike. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Now, moving on to the main event, 7.35pm out at Canberra on Saturday night. Uh, not sure how cold it's going to be, but knowing Canberra, probably pretty frigid. Uh, the Raiders aren't exactly full strength themselves. Um, they're going to be missing their first choice fullback in uh, uh, Nickel Clockstar, sorry, uh, Chance Nickel Clockstar, and they're also out Ryan James. So a couple of big outs for them, and they look like this as a result: Caleb Aikens in the number one, Bailey Simonson and Jordan Rappiner on the wings. Jared Croak is their captain in the centres, and he's pardoned by Curtis, Curtis Scott on the other side of the field. Uh, Jack Whiten and George Williams are a formidable halves pairing. Uh, strong front row of Josh Papali'i, Josh Hodgson, and Isaiah Soliola. Hudson Young, Elliot Whitehead, and Joseph Tapene round out a, a, a very good forward pack and a very good back row in its own right. On the bench, they've got the damaging Tom Starling as a utility hooker, uh, followed by Ryan Sutton, Saliva Havili, Emre Gula, and extend the bench of Sebastian Chris, Matt Ferroli, Corey Harrier, Naira, and Dynamis Louie. Ricky Stewart is their coach. For the Eels, uh, a couple of changes for them. Clinton Goff sends the captain a fullback. 
Unchanged back line of Mike Acevo, Tom Opachik, Murata Nekori, and Blake Ferguson. In the halves, we have our first change. Uh, Dylan Brown, as we mentioned earlier, has uh, accepted a one-game early guilty plea suspension for a crusher tackle on Tyrell Fulmiano, which means... Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> Just a little bullshit. Uh, Will Smith will step into the start <clears throat> in place of Dylan, gets his first start of the season after some um, pretty good relief work off the bench. He'll be partnered by Mitchell Moses in the halves. Front row is unchanged. Regan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Paulo shoulder-to-shoulder with Reed Marnie. Sean Lane, Nathan Brown, and Ryan Madison named again, which we'll get to our expectations in the play, but this is the fourth game he's been named in since sustaining that concussion against the Storm, um, but he is yet to play. On the bench, you've got Oregon Kafusi, Isaiah Papali'i, Keegan Hipgrave, and Bryce Cartwright. The extended bench looks like this. Joey Lusick, Hayes Dunster, Wiramu Gregg, and Jordan Rankin. Brad Arthur is the coach. So a lot of lot of names, a lot of words there. How's this one shake out, mate? Well, mate, first of all, how good are the Raiders going to not have certain players, including uh, as you just named, then Sebastian Chris? I think he's a weapon. Yeah, Chris is um going to get some attention. He's off contract, I think. He's going to yeah. get he's going to get some attention from a, a, quite a few clubs, I reckon, because he's been very good for them. And you know yeah. the fact that they've got Curtis Scott and Jared Croker ahead of him, that's not a slight in Sebastian Chris at all. No, no, and. Um... I, I I was actually concerned about facing uh, Sebastian Chris out out there in the um in the centres for out out in the edge for the Eels. So, uh yeah, I'm I'm look, I'm I'm quite happy for him to be um, not participating in the game. Uh, in terms of the Eels, well, you mentioned uh, Keegan Hipgrave earning that recall, and he did say in the post match that BA had sent him. Essentially, he wanted him to get 80 minutes of football under his belt to be able to get a run again in the first-grade team. So um, he got the 80 minutes. He played well. Um, so good luck for to, to Keegan for earning his recall into the team. And, uh, look, I don't think Will Smith's going to let the Eels down. He didn't let the Eels down last year when he was called upon to uh, play in the halves or when he was coming off the bench in that utility role. So... Um, he hasn't had big minutes this year, except for the uh, the game where um, he was required to play for a large chunk of the game. Um, but uh, that was with uh, Moses leaving the field. Uh, which game was that? Was that the Storm? Yeah, it was the Storm game, wasn't it? No, the um, Sharks game. Yeah, the Sharks. Yeah, the Sharks game. game was the yeah. Sharks. Yeah, where he went, where Moses went off injured during the first half. That's right. He sort of concussed himself with a a bad tackle attempt. That's right. That's right. So uh, he didn't let us down in that game. In fact, it worked out quite well that um, Will Smith was on the bench in that game. So I suppose the risk that we take this week is we're carrying four forwards on the bench, albeit that Cartwright has a, a background where he can play in the halves. Um, and then bump Will Smith where elsewhere if needed, I suppose. But we don't have any any cover for Reed Marnie, other than well, you're talking uh, Cartwright, the five eight, Will Smith yeah, to reach, number nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the re, the reshuffle would have to happen if um if we had um uh, anything happen to Reed Marnie during the game. How do you see the game playing out, mate? This is going to be a tough one. Like there's no sugarcoating that it's Canberra at Canberra. Um, I think in the corresponding fixture, like a couple of years ago, we lost this one 19-0 after a good start to the season. Um, and, you know, they're, they're a very good team. Ricky Stewart's recruited very well from England and as well as picking up 
you know, guys, he's not playing, but Nickel Clockstar, uh, you know, and finding, you know, sort of repo guys like Parramatta have done and turning them into high caliber and role players. Um, yeah. Caleb Aikens from the Riff, isn't he? Yeah, he, he joined them by way of Penrith this year. Yeah, yeah so he's, yeah. he's been pretty handy too. He was actually in the game against Penrith where the we had that leg spinning kick from Mitch, uh, from Ryan, was it Ryan Madison or Mitchell Moses that um, ended up sealing that 16 to 10 comeback. Um, he, he, had his, yeah. he had his legs broken by that one, unfortunately. But yeah, they're, they're a very good team. You've got to be able to match them up through the middle. Um, they've got one of the best front rowers in the game, locking horns with one of the other best front rowers in the game in the Paulo versus Josh Papali'i matchup. Um, but you look at the rest of that pack, Hudson Young's killing it this year. Elliot Whitehead is a very classy international level player. Joseph Tapney is a massive grub, but he is a good player. So, you know, we, we need our entire pack, you know, ready to play. And you look at the bench, you know, you need Oggy, you need Papa, you need Keegs, you need Bryce, all contributing without turning over the ball cheaply. Um, and that, that sort of leads me to, to the point where one of the players we've been missing is Ryan Madison. Do we expect him to play this week? I don't have an answer on that, mate. I, yeah, I wish the, I did. I wrote about this in Team West Tuesday. Oh, this is not an attack on the club. Like uh, it, it is frustrating in one in one capacity that he's, they're naming him, but in terms of him not playing, I have no qualms with that. Uh, the fact that we continue to take HIAs and concussions so seriously uh, is important to me. And uh, that part of player welfare is huge. So well done to the club for you know looking after Madison in that regard. But if he if he's out this week, what do we do? Well, if if he's out this week, I suppose we're looking at uh, Papali'i going directly into the starting lineup again. Yep. And maybe maybe it's a, a case of uh, Wiramu Greg. That 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 is where I, that's where I, I took the natural progression because you either play Cartwright. Or you play Papa, and you play you play Cartwright to start in order to preserve your middle rotation with Isaiah Papali'i, and you sort of you sort of work around that on the flow of the game, or you just put Papa onto the edge and you bring uh, Wiramu in, and you look to juice up the bench that way. That'd be the way that I'd go because we know that uh, Para Papa will get eighty minutes and be going as strong at the end of eighty minutes as he is at the start. He he brings a he's brought a quality game in every performance. Yeah, the, he has not had a bad game at all. He's been used in different capacities against Melbourne yep. Storm. We saw more ball playing as he he played an emergency cover on the edges for the Ryan Madison concussion when it was initially sustained. But you know when he's in the middle, he gets post contact meters. He breaks tackles. He's got a big engine. When he's on the edge, he's line running like he did against the Dragons to score a try. Uh, he's been so versatile for us. It's been fantastic. Well, I I. I have used um, my quote about him from the pre the preseason report uh, a number of times on social media, where I, I said that he he basically will he's just as happy with uh, being able to play like a link role or a ball playing role as he is with making the dirty carries, but or just that the the hard grinding stuff. And he's, he's smart with the lines that he runs as well. He runs lines which challenge the defence. So I, I, I said before, and I'll keep saying it, I don't understand how he, he was able to leave the Warriors, how, how there wasn't more of a fight to keep him, but their loss is our gain. On, Very much on so. Very much so. Uh, predictions for this one, mate, because it's a tough one. Like uh, this is a game that, and I, and I always joke about, you know, you're a coward if you're tipping against the Eels, but this is very much a game where you could be excused for tipping against Parramatta. Oh, uh, I'm going to say Eels by two to six points. I can't see 
this being anything other than a, a tight contest. And when I say a tight contest, I, I, I mean whether the victory goes to the Raiders or the Eels, and I think we, we can overcome the Raiders, but this is going to go right down to the 80th minute, whether we win or whether the Raiders win. I know we will lift on our performance last week, so the Raiders would probably be unhappy about facing the Eels coming off a loss to the Dragons. But by the same token, the Raiders wouldn't have been happy about losing to the Riff. No, and, they'd be looking to bounce back big time fired, too. They'd be fired up over some of the carry-on that the the Panthers did in winning that. I mean, they were literally... I've got to say it. I don't think the Panthers are good winners. They, they're, no, they're there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of carry-on and, and niggle and, and yeah. shit-stirring that goes on that, uh, yeah, like you said, they're not exactly gracious winners by any means. No, it's like their celebrations are in the face, right up in the face of the opposition. And to an extent, you know, I look, I don't mind a bit of character out in the crowd, but it was almost carried over into the crowd with them imitating the, the Raiders' Viking clap in the, in the crowd on, uh, on the week, uh, last round. Yeah, look. Um, so I think the I think the Raiders uh, they'd be smarting about that, and certainly it'll be interesting to see any return clash between those two clubs this year. But unfortunately, I think that means they're going to be really fired up for this week yeah, against they, us. The Eels need to be ready to play from the opening whistle, because mate, I just want us to go back to that type of football we talked about when we spoke to Joey, which is win the middle then work outwards after you've won. So, so much of every, everything in this game figures itself out if you can be competitive in the middle. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, that's on both sides of the ball with, in, in both attack and defence. Win that middle. Um, have, your, have your kicking game on point. Uh, you chase with the kicking game on point. Try to play as much of the game as you can in the opposition half. Just work on those basics to begin with and then, then worry about... What, what you can create off the back of it. Yes, sir. And I, I think when I was on the Para podcast earlier this week, I tipped a 14 or 16 to 10 victory for the Eels, uh, which is very much in line with your projected margin of sort of two to six points. It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be yeah, an absolute I, battlefield out there. I, in, in fact, I'm I'm looking at it and um, I, I write the, um, the punting tip for goals preview. I, I just don't know what I'm going to tip there because... Um, it's it's hard. I, I'm going into it. I have to admit, I'm going into it without confidence in terms of. I just don't know how the game's going to plan out either in in total match points. Um, I just know that it's going to be close. So maybe it might be that I'm looking at a, a one to twelve margin either way um, in in that result. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll soon see. Yes, and no. looking forward to it, mate. That's it. So we'll have all the um, post game coverage starting at about nine. Nine, sorry, got the hiccups. Nine or ten o'clock, I suppose, with the grades and the musings, and and perhaps a, a reaction podcast, depending on how the game travels. But yeah, look forward to all that sort of stuff, and and drop by the Cumberland Fro as always to say hello. And if you've got any questions for Joey's mailbag next week, don't forget to hashtag Ask Joey. And uh, as always, we'll see you guys on the other side. Yeah, and uh, mate, enjoyed it today. So thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you. Catch you later, guys. <laughs>